Good morning, Smithfield. Word. All right, let's do that again. Word. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I was waiting for you guys to catch up on that. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. It is good to have my wife in the audience. I'm like, praise Jesus. <laughs> uh, well, let's come before the Lord and pray together. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you for your love. Lord, the great love that we just sung about. Who can plumb the depths of it, Lord? Who can traverse the highest heights of your love? Such things are too marvelous, Lord, yet you have put them on display by sending Jesus into the world to rescue sinners like us. Lord, we thank you that um, we gather every week, that we can gather, that we have the freedom to gather, that we have the independence to gather, to worship you. And Lord, let us never take that for granted. Help us, Lord, to be a missions-mobilized church that takes the name of Jesus into this world. That we would not only say, thank you, Jesus, but that we would proclaim Jesus in this world. And Father, we pray that you would come upon this time, that you would come upon your word, that you would come upon the most famous verse in the Bible, Lord, and just ignite it in our souls. Help us to be encouraged and, and, and moved and captured and captivated by this word. And Lord, if there's some in here who don't know you, I pray that they would be born again through hearing the gospel, which is the living and abiding word of Christ. And it's by, it's by hearing the word of Christ that faith is produced in the soul. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do and tailor a word for each and every one of us in here that we might be encouraged and helped today by the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I thought a little bit about what I wanted to do today. And really, I just want to meditate on John 3.16. So I want us to just take a look at it real quick. And then I want to, my, my heart for this service is that we would just kind of be baptized in the truths about God's great love for us from this text. That we'd get great help with a picture of God's love. Sometimes we forget just how much God loves us. Sometimes when you're getting beat up in the world and when you're going through trials and when you feel like you're in a never-ending spiral that you don't feel like you can get out of, you need to meditate on the love of God in the gospel because it's the hope that's built into that, that lifts the Christian so that he can traverse the difficulties of life. And if you're in here and you're in a trial today, you need John 3.16. And if you're in here today and you've just fallen asleep in your Christianity, you need John 3.16. And if you're in here today and you actually feel like, I've, I know John 3.16 but I've read it so many times that it's lost its luster to me. And I just need to see it with all sorts of fresh glimmers. I need to see the light shining through it into my heart. So that's, that's my 
goal today, and I'm praying that the Spirit would do that in your heart, because this is a text that has brought so many people from darkness to light, from death to life, from condemnation to no condemnation. So let's read it, and we're going to back up just a couple verses. I'll start in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. For God so loved the world. Many of us learn that as children, right? Even as unbelievers, you probably knew that verse before you were born again, right? It's on the bottom of cups. Sometimes it's, it's, it's uh, at the bottom of a menu in a Christian uh, restaurant or something like that. Sometimes we see our favorite sports stars wearing John 3.16 on their jerseys. It's everywhere. Martin Luther once said that John 3.16 was actually the Bible in miniature form. And I thought that was so good. Because there's just so much there, right? You're, 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 you're laying hold of, in this one verse, the doctrine of God. For God so loved the world. You're being introduced to the creator of heaven and earth. The holy, majestic, righteous God who is love. And who pours out his love by sending his son into the world. You're being introduced to God. You're being introduced to the doctrines of who God is in this one little verse. You're being introduced to his majestic love. You're, you're being shown that God actually loves the world, which is kind of a staggering statement for somebody like Nicodemus, who we read earlier, right? This whole conversation is happening in the context of Jesus talking to a religious Jew and a ruler of Israel and actually talking to somebody who was one of the great teachers of Israel. And he's telling them, or he's telling Nicodemus, God actually loves the world. And Nicodemus must have stumbled at that. You, God chose the Jews. What do you mean he's, he's, he loves the unwashed masses? These uncircumcised Philistines out here, right? Like, this is this is. Staggering and it's scandalous, and it's right here in John 3:16. God so loved the world. And what does he mean by that? But that God so loved the world in its rebellion against him. In spite of this, this word world in John's gospel gives the gives us the reality that. This is the world that's in rebellion against its maker. This is the world that came up under the curse. This is the world that's infected with sin, that's shaking its fist at God, that does not honor God 
or give thanks to him. This is the world that God loves. It's the world of men. It's the world of men who did not know God, chapter 1 said, right? Chapter 1 reminded us that the Jews even rejected the son that this God sent into the world, born of a virgin. So John is, is he's introducing us to doctrines all over the place here to help us see what it means and to unfold. And you have everything from, from a vision of saving faith to a depiction of God as the, uh, God's son as the unique one and only son. We're entering into the depths, my friends. The depths of gospel, goodness, and love towards you. This is a message that's saying God cares about you right where you're seated. Right in the midst of what you're facing today, he cares about you. Because he said, for God so loved the world. That he did something. That he what? That he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, you could spend a sermon on each chunk of this text. You could just look at the, 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 the reality of the imminent judgment of God upon the world in its sin. And those who will not believe will perish. But today I don't want to... Spend all our time in any one place. I just want us to get baptized with this verse. Baptized and helped. So the first thing I want us to see is that the gospel, right? The gospel is the greatest news about the greatest love that the world has ever known. The greatest news, right? The gospel is the greatest news about the greatest love that the world has ever known. The world loves to hear about love. But this is the greatest love and the greatest news about the greatest love the world has ever seen. And verse 19 tells us how the world responds. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. That's the response to the greatest news about the greatest love in all the world. In our natural inclinations, every single one of you, and me included, would reject and have rejected the love of God until we are, were arrested by it, until we were so moved, until, until we apprehended the news and understood the news and understood this great love of God, this great love that's come from above down to earth to rescue us, to set in motion the plan of God that would be a divine rescue mission. That's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's a glorious declaration of good news for you and me in a bad news world, right? You, you, you just, you turn on the news and there's shootings everywhere. I think there's something like 
30 some odd shootings in just the past couple weeks all over the nation because men rebel against God and we're wicked to the core. And we need the rescue of John 3.16. Never let anybody tell you that it's just uh, this. What, what, what's really going on out there is that uh, there's a more mental illness or there's more uh, things that we can explain this. Let's rationalize it. No, man is corrupt to the core. The Bible says that man's days are few and full of trouble. That the heart is desperately wicked. Who could know it? We need good news. Because when we look around us, it's bad news. And when we look within, deep down in the core of who we are without Christ, there's wickedness filling our hearts. And so when you hear these words, when you hear this gospel, when you hear this news about the love of God for you, it should just, it should stagger you. That this is the world whom God loves, and you are numbered among them. And you have the same ailment. You have the same problem. You have the same disease. You have the same cancer running through your soul. And this is the rescue. This is the provision. This is the promise. This is the hope. This is the help. This is the one that God sent in His divine love for you. That He would rescue you in the core of who you are. If you will believe. If you have believed, you know this rescue to be true. And maybe you need to be awakened afresh to just how magnificent, just how glorious it really is. Is that not what John says in other places? 1 John 4.9, John unpacks this great love for us and he says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. You want to know what love is? In this is love. Not that we've loved God. There's that rebellion, right? Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us. And what did He do? He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that's just a technical word for a wrath-bearing substitute. Jesus bore the wrath of God for you and I, if we'll believe. That's a staggering thing to be under the, to be under the blazing furnace of God's white-hot indignation for your rebellion against Him, for your lust for your anger, for your pride, for your gossiping, from your, for your backbiting, for all of your running away from God, the wrath of God is due upon your head and Jesus bore it all on a cross. That's what we were singing about. That's the rescue. That's the love sent into the world. That's what John is saying, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live in Him. And it's that great love that reminds us we weren't running around being all kinds of lovable and cute. We didn't love him, but he loved us. And he rescued you. Through this glorious gospel, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Do you long to see 
the love of God manifesting in your life? Do you long to see it writ large in your world? Do you long to see it as a banner over who you are and what you're about? Meditate on this chapter. Meditate on this verse. Get it in your soul. Get it in the nooks and crannies of every fiber of your being. Because it reminds us who we are and what we need. And who God is. And better yet, what he's done out of his great love and concern for us. Jesus is a great emblem of God's love for us. Because he was willing to be sent. God the Father sent him. And Jesus was willing to be sent. To a bloody cross. He went through all the agonies. Of bearing the wrath that we deserve. Because of his great love. He bore our sins. On that tree. Because of his great love for you. He. Was wounded so that you might be healed. That's what 1 Peter 2.24 says. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's God's great love toward you. Jesus bore the wrath of God on a tree for you. And for me. It's what God was doing when Jesus was on the tree hanging with an inch of his life. And he said with his last cry, it is finished. Tetelestai paid in full. Every drop of wrath absorbed for you and I. His life slain on a cross. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world to rescue and to demonstrate His great love for you. Do you feel that today? Do you feel that? Do you feel like God's love shooting into your life because you know this is what He's done for you? And if you don't know it, my prayer and my heart and my plea is that you would believe. You would be one of the ones who believe this great news, and it'll change your life. I think of it as kind of this idea of, imagine if you owed a massive debt, right? You were in collections for millions and millions of dollars of debt. Credit cards run amok. Creditors on your back. Threatening to take everything you have and leave you destitute. And it's your own fault. And the president of the company with one fail swoop, swoop, comes in and he pays your debt in full and sets you free of every obligation to pay for what you surely deserve to pay. And he rescues you and gives you a new lease on life and you're free. And that just pales. It's so insignificantly pale in the comparison to what God has done for you in his great love. That he would pay that debt in full. That Jesus would be the surety for your salvation. Oh, forget American Express. Forget Visa. Forget all of those things. There's nothing like the payment of Jesus that he made on the cross for you and I. 
that expresses the great love of God for us. While we were shaking our fists at the creditor all along. And he says, I will pay it for you. Is that not what the prophet Isaiah says in this John 3.16 of the Old Testament in Isaiah 53.6? All we like sheep have gone astray. That's the bad news. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see the payment? Do you see the provision? Do you see that there's talk of our sin and our rebellion and all of a sudden God's paying it? That's love. That's divine love. That's sacrificial love. That's supernatural love. That's love that breaks in and changes a person. That's love that grips a heart and doesn't let you go until he brings you all the way home. He who did not spare his own son, if he did that, how much more will he not freely give you everything you need with Christ? Romans 8.32, we spent a whole week on it. It's right here in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. He gave him up. He gave him up to a cross. He gave him for you and for me. He gave him for all who will believe and receive that great blessing. He gave when we were not thinking about receiving. He gave when we were shaking our fists. He gave Jesus for his enemies. To make his enemies his friends. By the rescue and the provision of the gospel. Held out to you if you will believe. There's no greater love than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. That's the gospel. That's John 3.16. That's the hope of this text. And this text recalls the story of Abraham. If you remember your Genesis, Abraham, the first time love is mentioned in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, God tests Abraham, and he asks him to give his son, his only son, whom he loves. He says, take your son, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. First time love's mentioned in the Bible. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. And listen to what the Lord says. As, as Abraham has his hand up, as, as Isaac is willingly submitting to this, and he's ready to do it, and the angel of the Lord speaks in that pivotal moment to Abraham, and he says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram as, and offered it up as a burnt sacrifice instead of his son. Instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on 
the mount of the Lord. It shall be provided. And who does he provide thousands of years later? But another lamb who willingly went to the thicket, who willingly went to the cross. And it was the father's son, his only son. He gave up his son, his only son, whom he loves. What he asked Abraham to do but stayed his hand, he provided himself for you and me. That's the greatest news in all the world. That's the greatest love in all of Scripture. It's the love of God poured out on Calvary's cross. It's the love of Golgotha, that place of the skull where the lamb was slain, where his blood was dropped on the ground for you and for me. And he provides abundant rescue. That's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That what? That whoever believes. Anybody in here who puts their trust in Jesus. Will not perish in the judgment that you deserve. But will have eternal life. So much to say. So much in this text. So much love, right? Romans 8 or Romans 5:8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the blessing of God's love. But the next thing we see in this text that we we would be remiss if we didn't touch on it is that if we spurn the love of God in Christ, we perish. If you spurn the love of God, if you reject the love of God, if you reject the hope, if you reject the Savior, you perish in judgment. Not because God is having a bad day, but because your sin is that bad. It's that wicked. You, you shake your fist in your maker's face. We all do it, right? From young, from youth, we rebel. No parent in here had to teach their children. They just do it. They get their back up. They start rebelling. You tell them to do something, they do the opposite. How does that happen? Well, it's a picture of the rebellion in every heart against God. Naturally, by nature, we reject God and we reject the offer of love. Let's, let's see it here just in the text. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Did you see that there? It says perish. So if you don't believe, you will perish. And in fact, that's what the next few verses in John say. Verse 17. This is God's intention. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The first time he came to save. Next, next time he comes, he will judge the world in righteousness. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And here it is. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, verse 18 says, is what? Is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We are condemned in our sins, the Bible says. Children of wrath by nature. We have rejected and rebelled. We've been infected with the sin and the corruption that was wrought through our great ancestors, Adam and Eve. 
right? There's something broken, some curse happened that came upon our world. That's why there's tornadoes and tsunamis. That's why there's starvation. That's why there's disease. That's why there's cancer. That's why there's wars and that's why there's school shootings. That's why there's the stuff we see in the world and we just get sick and we're saying, how much, how long, Lord? And God feels all of that. He feels every bit. If you knew the evil in the world and if you knew the evil in men's hearts that God knows, you would go absolutely crazy and tear out your hair and fall to the ground in utter destitution and say, how long will we endure? That's how wicked we are. But the intention of God was always to save those who will believe. But on the very same token, we must remember that we will not be saved from final judgment if we reject the one God offers. The one who brings salvation, the one who brings rescue, the one who brings hope. And we need to feel that today. We need to hear that. We need to feel that. We need to be gripped by that. We need to be moved with compassion to labor to bring the gospel to the lost because they are perishing. I had this note um, in my, my notes from my studies in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, uh, 1.18. The gospel is described this way. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Do you notice that language? The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's the same word from John 3.16. Perish. If we're lost, we're already perishing. We're already condemned. We're already under the judgment. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. So the truth is God's intention in sending Jesus was to save sinners. And God's judgment comes upon those who spurn the love of God reached out. They slap his hand out of the way and they prefer darkness rather than light. And that's what we see in verse 19, is it not? And this is the judgment. This is the judgment. This is the condemnation. This is the reality of man's plight without God. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things, and that's all of us, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. That's why people get really scared when you call them to repent and believe the gospel. Because they don't want to be exposed by the light of the gospel, by the light of the world. And you start realizing just how bad off you are, just how much you need a rescue. You see all the stuff we've been getting into with this great love of God. There's no other way to be saved. There's no other hope. We perish without Jesus. He's a perfect provision of salvation. You can't find it in Islam. You can't find it in Mormonism. You can't find it in any other religion in the world. You can only find it in Christianity, in Christ alone. He makes the provision. 
And it has to be this Jesus of John 3.16. It has to be this Son. It has to be this one that the Bible describes. Not the one of our own invention. Not the one of our own making. But the one that God has revealed. Right? That's what verse 18 is saying. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already. Why? Because He has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And in Jewish thought, the name was the essence of the person. The person and work of Jesus. Who He is as the Son of God come to save us. Who He is as the one who lived the perfect life we never could. Who died on the cross the death we deserved to die. Who bore the wrath that we could never bear on ourselves unless we spent an eternity in hell. He bore it on Himself so that we might be saved. And He rose up out of the grave three days later conquering our greatest enemy, death and sin itself so that you might have life. That is the love of God. And that is the hope of the gospel and we perish without it and we never we, we must never forget that the greatest news of the gospel coming out of John three sixteen also reminds us of the worst news the world could ever hear the judgment of God but it's true news it's news that's coming for all who reject God's great offer of love for us in Jesus. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, probably about a year or so in my walk in the Lord, and I was talking to somebody that I was working with. Her name was Shannon. And I was talking about this very verse. I was talking about the love of God. I was talking about uh, the gospel. I was talking about God's great love for us. And then we got to the part where I said, if you don't turn your life over to Jesus, if you don't repent of your sin and trust in Jesus, you will perish. You will be judged. You will not have hope. You will be finally lost. And she looked at me just really upset. And she said, well, my God loves me. And I said, that's very true that God loves you, but it doesn't mean he won't judge you if you reject Jesus, the one he provided in love to save you. Because his justice means the bill will come due. Either Jesus pays it or you pay for it yourself. But the bill will come due. And she looked at me, if looks could kill, I would have been dead. And after about a week or two, she had been thinking about it and mulling it over and thinking about the holiness of God and the justice of God and the, 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 the reality that the very verse that she probably prized most was the one that threatened judgment for those who reject Jesus. Where did she get this idea of God's love but the Bible? Well, you have to take the whole Bible and you have to receive the son that God provides, the sent one. If you reject Jesus, you lose everything. What is a prophet a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And so she wrestled with this reality and she was struck and stabbed awake and she realized she's under the judgment of God. She's condemned already. She's without hope. She did not she she had a figment of her own imagination. She invented a god that was all love and no justice. That he didn't love uh, holiness. Her God did not love holiness. Her God winked at sin. He didn't care about the evil in the world. 
Well, the biblical God does. The true and living God does. There is no other God except the one revealed in the scriptures. And he's the God who says he is righteous and holy and good and he will deal with evil finally and forever. And that means all the suffering saints in here, all of the people who have been persecuted for their faith, all of the people who have experienced injustice, God will set it right one day because he cares about evil and injustice being dealt with. But the good news is we don't have to go along in that judgment because he's provided a rescue for you and I and anyone who will believe. And so Shannon laid hold of that reality. She was brought to the brink of crushing despair because she knew judgment was coming and she turned her life over to Jesus and she was saved because she finally believed the whole gospel contained in John 3.16. Perhaps you have not thought deeply about this verse. Perhaps you are being brought awake today. Perhaps you are coming to a place where you're realizing, I need this rescue. I need this hope. I need this help. I need to know how to get this forgiveness. I need to know how to experience this love. I want to do, I, what do I do? Well, there's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to get it. You can't pull your moral bootstraps up. Jesus was just chastising Nicodemus when he said, you know, that he's the teacher of Israel. And he, he gave Jesus a lot of praise, but he could not get there through moralism. He could not get there being a good religious Jew. He needed to get there by receiving Jesus as the Messiah and Lord of all. And that's the last thing we see in this verse. Verse 16 says the same thing that verse 15 says. That whoever believes in him will be saved. Whoever, whoever believes in King Jesus will be saved. That's gospel hope. Just as Jesus, right, was nailed to a tree to provide salvation for you and me. When you look to him and when you look to what he's done, when you trust that message... You can be saved. But in our day and age, faith has become so emptied of its real biblical content. It's been so emptied that we just think Peter Pan, like if I just believe hard enough, if I wish upon a star. I don't know how the rest of the song goes, but the reality is we've lost something here. We've lost the biblical reality of faith. And faith in the scriptures is always has three components. It always has three things attached to it. Knowledge, acceptance, and personal trust in Jesus. You have to know some facts about the gospel. You've got to know who Jesus is. You've got to know he's the son of God. You've got to know that he's sinless. You've got to know that he was sent from the Father you got to know that he went to a cross. you got to know he was buried. you got to know three days later he was risen. you got to know that he ascended to the Father and he sat down at his right hand. And he ever lives to make intercession for believers. You've got to know Jesus. You have to know things. But you also have to accept their truth. Many people know things about Jesus, but they don't believe they're true. 
you've got to accept that these are historical realities, that this Bible is a historical book. This Bible is depicting history. This Bible is depicting what really happened. This Bible is disclosing to you the truth. But it's not enough to stop there. Nicodemus knew a lot of things. He knew his Bible backwards and forwards. He believed it was true. But he was missing a personal trust and surrender to the king of all the earth. He was missing a personal trust in Jesus. James says in his letter to the church that even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons have good theology about Jesus. Did you know that? Demons know everything about Jesus there is to know, and they believe it's true. So that's not enough. But demons don't surrender to Jesus. They're at war with Jesus. Although they know exactly who he is. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons would tremble in his presence. What have you done with Jesus? Have you personally trusted in Jesus? That's what is implied in John 3.16. The quality of our faith is that we personally believe in him and that he's the one God sent to save us. Have you trusted in Jesus personally? And if you have, it's glorious. If you have, it's the beginning of an adventure. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you're in a place where you had the first two things. You knew some stuff. And you accepted they were true, but you never surrendered your life. You never really trusted Jesus to save you. Yeah, he can save others, but maybe not me. Where are you today? Have you been gripped? Have you been drawn like a magnet? Have you been compelled by the love of God to run to Jesus? Have you been compelled to escape the fires of hell? Have you been compelled to avoid the judgment by receiving the provision of God? And entering into the love of God and being made a child of God through real saving faith. Oh, this is the message of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious word. We thank you for this message. We thank you for the hope of John 3.16. There's perhaps no greater verse in the Bible, perhaps no deeper verse, perhaps um, it's just what we needed to hear today. And Father, I pray for those who are here who may really be feeling and sensing their need to come to Jesus in real faith today. They want to go beyond knowing some things about Jesus and yes, believing that these things historically happened. But they want to embrace him as king. They want to believe personally. And Father, I pray for them that their hearts would be warm. That they would experience the spirit of God drawing them even now as I'm praying. That they would say, yes, this is me and I want to give my life to Jesus. And if, Father, if there's some there right now, I pray that they would be crying out in their heart. And that they would be saying, dear God. I believe that I am a sinner who deserves judgment. I believe that you sent Jesus into the world to rescue sinners. 
I believe that he is the son of God. I believe he died on a cross for my sins. And I believe he rose from the dead on the third day. And I ask that you'd send your spirit into my heart. Save me. I'm laying hold of this king. I'm laying hold of this treasure. Would you provide that eternal life that is knowing you and coming into a relationship with you? Father, would you, would you be working that in hearts that perhaps for the first time are crying out even now? And Father, I pray for believers in this room that they've been encouraged by the gospel today. They've been built up. They've been strengthened. They've been given hope. They've been reminded of the promises. They've been reminded of the love of God. Oh, Lord, move us to share this great love with the world around us. It's so dark out there, but the light shines brighter in the darkness. And the love of God is such a brighter influence in the world when we preach John 3.16. It's such a simple verse and set, yet such a deep one. Would you move it upon our souls souls like a gospel balm now? In Jesus' name, amen.